Mr. Mackling is all set up in Regina. He was broadcasting live from his hotel this morning. So, of course, we had to talk about the Blue Bombers as we get ready for the Grey Cup. And we had a fascinating conversation regarding the 1950 Grey Cup, the Mud Bowl, Winnipeg versus Toronto. And we spoke with Cindy Tinsley, who is the daughter of Blue Bomber legend Buddy Tinsley. Comedian Ron James is in Manitoba this week. He's doing three shows, one in Portage, one in Brandon, and one in Winnipeg. So we checked in with him to find out how he's doing and how much he's enjoying returning to the road. And with lots of office workers continuing to get back to normal and continuing to get back to the office, that had us thinking, what do you like about seeing your co-workers face-to-face? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, November 16th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Things are feeling a little bit more familiar today. It's just me in the studio all by myself again, because Loren's at home. And GMAC, you're somewhat at home, at least in as it relates to you're in a place because football. Football. Bringing it to the heartland is what they're calling it here in Regina. The Grey Cup Festival kind of kicking off last night, but things will get into fuller effect today. It's cold here, you guys. It's like minus 15, minus 16. It was cold last night. Oh, okay. There you go. Just got the update here. It says it's minus six. I don't believe it. It's cold. <laughs> I think I, I almost called airport. I almost called you out on this. I was like, hang on. How much colder? But with the wind in Regina right now, it's minus 15. So you're pretty much bang on, Greg. Oh, so there you go. We we were out at the airport last night as the Blue Bombers landed. And oh, my goodness, that's as cold as I've felt it since last winter in Winnipeg. Usually, you know, it, it can be a little bit warmer here because they sometimes get the after effects of the Chinooks in Alberta and I know that uh, things were pretty warm in uh, Calgary yesterday and it's looking not too bad for Sunday the forecast keeps fluctuating I don't know what the latest you guys have heard but the last number I heard for a high for Sunday was minus three so not horrible at all yeah I'm just pulling that up right now for Regina by the way at the airport in Winnipeg minus 15 feels like minus 22 uh, looking okay. at yeah yeah so- so take it easy. You got to get to Saskatchewan for 12 hours and you just turned into a right suck. You know, that's just how this is going. Like, it's colder here, Mackling. Okay, fair enough. Um, but <laughs> you, there is something interesting. As a, so it looks like it could be a little breezy on Sunday as well in Regina. Uh, but as far as the elements go, the Bombers, are they technically the home team or, or what? Yeah, they're technically the home team. They were the road team in Hamilton last year. Uh, they were the, I think they were even the home team in Calgary. But um, they wore the white jerseys in 2019. They wore them in 2021. And even though the Blue Bombers will be the home team, don't expect to see them in blue jerseys. Well, I don't know if it's called superstition, but I imagine you stick with what's working. Is that superstitious? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Crazy? That's crazy? Jersey color? Yeah. I think the big guys really like the whites because it shows off their abs. <laughs> <laughs> so it was head coach Mike O'Shea among a group of three who spoke for the first time in Regina last night after the players got off the pill uh, off the plane. And Adam Big Hill was sporting 
both his blue bomber gray cups cup rings having these rings on it means it means a lot um because there's, there's so many stories that go into just one ring there's so much pain sacrifice blood sweat tears everything uh, not just myself my teammates you know family there's a lot that goes into this right so these uh are very very hard to come by there's a lot of great players who played in this league and never won one very fortunate to be here for an opportunity for my fourth loren if you had gray cup rings one two five you'd wear them all the time right i think so i think i'd want to the only thing is they're huge right <laughs> yeah. like, i feel like you can't do a lot with that like you'd just be walking around having to take them off all the time just to do basic things like brush your teeth they just get in the way well, maybe that would be the excuse not to have to do anything. Hey, you, do that for me. I've got five great <laughs> cup rings on. I can't do anything. Anyway, in that clip, you may have noticed that Big Hill mentioned the great players who played in the league and, and never won a ring. And Blue Bomber receiver Greg Ellingson is playing his first year here. The Bomber's been trying to get him forever, it seems. And finally, he's a member of the team. This is his ninth year in the CFL, and he's playing in his sixth gray cup game on sunday but he's got just one win in his previous five appearances in the big game my first year i realized the magnitude of making it to the gray cup um in hamilton i played with guys that had been in the cfl for eight nine years uh marlon hage is the first person i think of uh where he, he had never been in the, his, my first year in the cfl was the first year he ever went to the gray cup so since then and actually kind of full circle now because that was in regina the 101st and uh making my way all the way back around to, to do it again. So it's always an honor to, to be here. And, you know, it's just a testament to both teams, what they've done all year to make sure they can make this happen. As the players got off the plane and they collected their own luggage, by the way, which was kind of wild. They pulled it off the plane and put it in a great big pile. And then the players picked their own luggage, put it on the bus. Many of the players were vocalizing the fact they're not done. We're not done. There's work to do. So uh, the Blue Bombers got off the plane very focused. This, uh, once again, feels very much like a business trip for them, Brett. Well, that's good to hear. The Bombers have some work to do. They're taking it seriously. We'll have much to discuss on the Bombers, of course, through the day, through the week on 680 CJOB with Greg Mackling and Derek Taylor, both in Regina. Hoping to hear from Derek a bit later on this morning. And we have much work to do as well this morning, Loren, because uh, we have some pretty serious stuff to discuss. I mean, obviously, we're excited and thrilled about the Bombers uh, at the Great Cup, but uh, serious, serious development uh, in the war Russia's war on Ukraine yesterday. Yeah, so yesterday we learned that Russian missiles had landed in Poland or there was reports of that happening. And of course, immediately everyone's thinking, okay, hey, that's a NATO country. Was it intentional? What's going on? Early this morning, the Polish president spoke in a news conference and said there's no indication this was an intentional attack and that although they think this Russian missile is likely to blame for the deaths of two Polish people, there's no evidence that it had been fired necessarily intentionally or even who fired it so there's still lots more to learn they're talking about what they invoke in terms of nato acts there's article four which would call for consultations in the face of a security threat poland saying today hey that might not be necessary like everyone just hit the brakes hit pause for a second let's take a look and see what we've got however we have a bunch of western leaders uh, meeting for the g20 this week and they've condemned these missile attacks on ukraine cities and they're offering their full support to poland so we're getting into that much more after seven because there were so many people when they heard that yesterday thought here we go now we are really going to escalate things and 
That may not be the case right now. And Greg, I'll just quickly ask you, are you ready for two more years of Donald Trump on the campaign trail? <laughs> I made the mistake back in 2016 of, of really uh, enjoying the campaign. I, I can remember saying on the air on our afternoon show, I love Trump. I love having him in the race. He's very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, he's not nearly as entertaining anymore. Just had a chat about people coming, more and more people going back to work. And that's inspired the conversation we are about to have for a chance to win tickets to see the Winnipeg Jets on Monday, November 21st, Canada Life Center for 90s Night, Carolina Hurricanes in town. What do you like about seeing your coworkers face to face? Let's try to keep this positive. Maybe you've got, uh, you know, maybe you've forged long-lasting friendships with people, or maybe there's somebody you're you're like that you're you know you're friends with at work but not outside of work, and you love your interactions. Like I think we all enjoy every time we bump, might bump into Clay Young because you never know what's going to happen, you never know what he's going to say. Like what did he say to us earlier today, Forte? Yeah, boys, boys, listen in the in the in the, in the honor of uh, the Grinch and uh, and Mr. Scrooge, I have to. Stop Christmas from coming. And then he just carried on. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Yeah, like that completely random nonsense, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so 204-780-6868. I want to start us off here. Jeff Braun just Hello. recently came back to work in the last week. And I have to say that I miss the gift. I have been deprived of the gift that is listening to Jeff Braun complain my God, your rants have been so good, especially this morning. He comes into the, well, the studio coffee. on the coffee and like, ah, Jeff, I have missed you. Well, the coffee is terrible. And uh, to the point where I lasted three days and then last night uh, I went to Walmart and I bought a 40 ounce thermos and I'm going to make a whole pot at home and bring it in every day because I can't drink uh, the swill that passes for coffee at the station. <laughs> Ah, thank you, sir. Thank you, Jeff Braun. We'll get to you in a moment. But Mackling, uh, what uh, what's your take on this? Uh, what do you like about seeing your coworkers face to face? Okay. Ouch. <laughs> Greg is uh, left received, the building. Greg. My goodness. Uh, Loren, why don't we go to you? Well, I have to say that I was genuinely surprised by how pumped I was to see Braun in person. And not that I didn't think I had missed you over the past two and a half years, Jeff. It's just yeah. there was something about having that face-to-face. Because he and I email often in the morning. I do call him randomly. I think he said at one point I was the only person who ever called because <laughs> everybody else in his life texts him yeah. all the time. And I'd randomly be calling him at 4.30 a.m. with a question about something in the news. But when I saw you in person, not only was I pumped for the face-to-face interactions and just having that stories and connecting better. The snacks. I like to eat other people's food. And I went through Clay Young's lunch the other day. Nothing in it. I didn't enjoy anything in it, so I didn't take anything. But then Braun showed up at work. Food. I did. I don't think <laughs> it did either. Lunch. I don't think it did either, Cam. And then Braun had his uh, celery sticks in, and I was like, yes, celery did, sticks. Did you take and, some? Uh, I sure did. Okay, because I got home and I was like, wow, I <laughs> ate a lot of work today. I was, <laughs> no. was like, I don't remember eating this much usually. Two or I... three times I walked by and I was like, don't mind if I do. All right, so and, uh, I'm going to buy a it. vault for my food after work today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, is that the laugh of Greg Mackling? Are you back? I'm here. I guess we had a little bit of a glitch here, and it's ironic because it was the energy. I'm, I'm talking away, and I'm like, okay, nobody clearly nobody can hear me here. The energy that you feed off of one another, you you know, you, there's no way 
to Loren was talking about the the brainstorming. Yeah, you can share some ideas via the Zoom meeting or Teams meeting, but when you're in the room with somebody, there's just you know you get that body language, you get that that effect of just being in their space and sharing that energy and text messages. You're always apologizing and going, well, I hope you didn't take that the wrong way. Like the, so many things can be misconstrued in the written word. And I find that the exchanges, the jabs, the insults are much better de- de- delivered in person. Excellent point. Excellent point. I love that, actually, the, 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 the analysis. Constantly apologizing on text message. Jeff Braun. What about you, sir? What do you like about being back at work, seeing your coworkers face to face? Well, I got to say, every time I come into the news booth and I look up into the window, our good friend Jeffrey Forte is <laughs> looking right back at me with a big grin on his face, and then I can't help but start grinning. And then we try and make each other laugh, doing little uh, antics through the window at each other. And it's uh, it is it's really good for getting my energy up early in the morning. It's I miss that a lot because we've been doing that for years. Dang right. It's just like, you know, I look at Braun, obviously, both of us are dancing in our own little booths. It's, yep. uh, it's dance party. No music needed. <laughs> Boitches, what about you? Um, it's really nice. It's really nice. I mean, I, I was at work through most of the pandemic, and, um, you know, I'm, and I'm sure, Brett, you, 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 it, we, we kind of formed, uh, there was kind of a bond amongst uh, the guys who were kind of, you know, in real the heart of the pandemic, the guys that kept coming in, uh, the people that kept coming in. Um, there was kind of a bond formed uh, with us, and I got to know those coworkers a heck of a lot better than I, I, I think I ever would have otherwise. Um, and then, sort of me having to go home for I don't know the last uh, nine or ten months or whatever, and then for me to come back and start doing the show, like I'm still I'm still doing the, the sports here from home, but uh, in the morning, but like to go in and do the show with Jim uh, middays. I mean, it's it's not even in the same ballpark. Like I, I, you know, like I'm sure we can all, none of us signed up to, um, you know, work on laptops at home and, you know, set up our own home offices and, and try to do the show like that. We, we you know, we, we don't have that energy, you know, we're all uh, communicators. We're all um, people, you know, people, people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, 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 we live off of, talking to one another and, and building on that energy um, and, and, and bringing that to work. It, it, it was, it's certainly a lot more challenging um, doing that and trying to get yourself hyped up for it. I mean, we're a team and that's, and that's what we are. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm most happy about us getting back to. Well said, well gonna said. going to make me cry, Cam. Yeah, oh, that was well. very thoughtful. <laughs> Very thought, and it was it was a gut punch when they sent you home, Cam. Because you're right, when they're through the heart of the pandemic, there were only a couple of us who got to come yeah. in. It was basically me, you, and Fortier, and everyone else was at home for a while. And so when they decided that you're going home too, I, was, I thought, come on, <laughs> I, I'm still lonely here. But yeah. now that we're getting people back, now I'm having to. I actually put that on my performance evaluation because I have my review uh, later today with uh, the Grandmaster, our boss Heather. Uh, I'm not sure about that name. I'm still trying to come up with a fun one for her. <laughs> Kim Lawson is our news overlord, and she's got the scepter when she slams it down and uh, makes her decree. And then our Brent is the supreme chancellor. So uh, Heather, I'm running that past uh, you guys, the grandmaster. What do you think? But uh, I even put that on the, like my it. performance eval. That now I have to learn how to get used to people again. <laughs> I'm kind of having a hard time with it, um, but it is great to see all your faces when I do get to see them. 
And I realized over the past couple of years how in some respects, when you're not around one another, you're not telling them as much about your personal life either, which can be challenging, right? Like if you're going through something uh, and you don't see them face to face, you don't have that chance for the interaction. And so I feel like I didn't, I, I missed out on all, so all sorts of things about your guys' lives that we would have known about because it just was easier to not say certain things over text. I, I, you're really missing out more than just that work interaction because at some point you, you learn about people's kids and their moms and their dads and all the rest. And, and I think we missed that. Yeah, that whole idea of, you know, hey, how are you doing this morning? And then kind of gauging the reaction and the facial expression and the right. body language versus the, yeah, I'm great or I'm doing okay. Yeah, it, you, you, it's tougher to lie about that stuff in person. I think that's a great point, McNabb. Yeah, and it's also nice to know that things are, are still in relatively the same, you know, except for like the pandemic and all that between us because, you know, you know, me and Braun sat down and we were complaining about the same things we complained about yeah. uh, before the, the pandemic coffee. started. So <laughs> I was like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, it's nice to know things don't change. And Jeff also last week he was saying, oh, come on, we got these big, beautiful windows and they, they, they managed to align the desks so we're sitting right beside the columns in between the windows. <laughs> That's I my desk. You. I got Richard Cloutier's mustache and then a column. Like it's, love you, Cloutier, but... 204-780-6868. What do you like about seeing your coworkers in person? And if it could be thoughtful, it could be funny, like we mentioned. Maybe there's just a goofy coworker who you never know what they're gonna say. for joining us this morning and let's just get right into this here because a missile blast in Poland that killed two people near the border of Ukraine was probably not an attack by Russia. At least that's the message from NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg this morning who said it's more likely it might have been a Ukrainian air defense missile that went astray. He says an investigation is underway so nothing's confirmed yet but at the very least he believes there's no indication this was result of a deliberate attack and quote no indication Russia is preparing action against any member of the 30 nation military alliance the, the group that makes up NATO but he also was very clear that this blast is not Ukraine's fault and that Russia bears the ultimate responsibility here Greg yeah, so where do we go from here? For more, we're joined by retired Major General Dennis Thompson. He spent 39 years in the Canadian Army and is now with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. He is also a fellow at the University of Manitoba's Centre for Defence and Security Studies. Uh, Major General Thompson, thank you for this. Uh, tense 18, 24 hours or so, I know my reaction out loud, audible, when I heard about this is something I can't say on air. What first went through your mind when you heard that Poland had been hit, that this missile had come down on the wrong side of the Poland-Ukrainian border, so to speak? No doubt I had a, a very similar reaction to you, but uh, being military, I know that the accuracy of first reports is always questionable, and you do have to investigate things to the fullest extent possible in order to determine what the source of the threat or the um, or the uh, the missile was, and I think in this case um, you get to draw the line back to the point of origin, and that's done by doing a crater analysis, looking at the components left over from the missile that crashed or that uh, that hit the ground, and then finally uh, reviewing whatever data you have from your satellites. And I think we're starting to come to the conclusion that this didn't originate in Russia. 
and that perhaps it was an errant uh, surface-to-air missile. So not intentional. Apologies for interrupting. Not intentional, you know, is the messaging right now. So does that mean no further response from NATO? Uh, People were throwing out, there was all sorts of NATO experts suddenly on social media yesterday talking about Article 4, Article 5, and all the rest. What would the response be from this point then, from NATO's standpoint, do you think? Well, we'll back up a bit. The the village is, first of all, it's 70 kilometers north of Lviv. So that makes sense that it could be a an, an errant U- Ukrainian surface-to-air missile and that the origins of it, or at least the manufacture of it, was set as Russian. But that's not a surprise because, of course, Ukrainians operate an air defense missile called the S-300, which is of Russian manufacture. Uh, so so that it, it all fits into that sort of narrative, if you will. And let's be clear, the Russians fired around 100 cruise missiles yesterday at Ukraine, a larger number than they did on the 10th of October after they lost the Kerch Bridge. So when you fire that many missiles, the response from your air defense system is going to be multiples of 100 in order to make sure you knock down as many as you can. And as I understand it, they got 73 of the 100, so that's not a bad uh, uh, kill rate, if you will. But it also means that there's a number of missiles that would have carried on whatever their trajectory was, and sadly, this one very unfortunately slammed into uh, this this uh, farm on the border, just across the border with Poland. But with respect to Article 4, it has already been initiated by the Eastern European NATO states and they, they initiated it after the, the Russian invasion of uh, Crimea in 2014. And it was initiated again on, uh, in 2022 after this current Russian invasion of Ukraine proper. And so uh, it really, what it really means is that it allows NATO to further support the Ukrainians by uh, providing material support, as they've done, at least facilitating the transit across NATO countries of all the weapon systems that are being provided to Ukraine, and it also meant that we could bolster under this Article 4 uh, consensus the Eastern European states, uh, such as the one where Canada takes the lead as the uh, lead nation in the enhanced forward presence battle group in Latvia, which is growing from its current number of around 700 to about 1,000, and eventually the I think the target will be about 1,500 Canadian soldiers. So these things all have significance. Uh, but Article 4 is has uh, already been invoked with respect to this crisis. So de-escalation, not escalation, of course, is the goal. Do you feel like we're getting closer or further away from that? I think we're in exactly the same place. Uh, just, again, the it's this was a one-off attack by Putin that he wanted to, uh, I think it's... Uh, it would have been planned well in advance. It's a response to the fact that they had to withdraw from Kherson because it was militarily untenable. But also uh, Mr. Zelensky's speech, and I must say it's very clever to call it the G19 speech, all of this stuff gets under Putin's skin. And, uh, and he reacts, as he did uh, the, shortly after the Kursk Bridge, the one that links uh, Crimea to Russia, was attacked. Uh, he, they launched a large number of cruise missiles and Iranian-made drones towards uh, towards Ukraine, and they've now done the same thing in response to their defeats. So I don't think it's an escalation. I think it's another example of Russian behavior. When they get slapped down, they respond like a petulant child 
and fire more uh, missiles at civilian targets that have no military significance. And that's really the sad part is that Ukraine's population, civilian population, suffers as a result of, uh, of uh, Putin's frustration with his inability to take that country on. Retired Major General Dennis Thompson spent 39 years in the Canadian Army, now with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Thank you very much for your time and your insight. We appreciate it. Thank you. You can read more on this and get the latest developments at globalnews.ca, cjob.com. And, of course, all the latest developments you will hear right here on 680 CJOB. We're asking you, what are the things that you like about seeing your co-workers face-to-face? Loren, what does TJ have for us? TJ says, I drive semi, so I don't see my coworkers very often, but when I get the opportunity to see them in person, it's really fun. TJ says, my dispatch and I have a great friendship no matter how stressful the day gets, and it's always a friendly banter between us. And when the bosses are there, they are very appreciative and tell me how thankful they are for the work that I do for the company. Right so on. Even, even from the road, he likes it. You know, I remember years ago when I worked in Toronto, all the, decision, the decisions came out of Vancouver, like my news director and managing director and the anchor, they were all in Vancouver. And for the first year, I had not met some of them. And you imagine, have you ever, like, you imagine what they look like? And then you walk in, you're like, oh, you're short. I thought you were a blonde or I thought you were a brunette or you sounded like you had a beard, you know? And so you just need to meet people and see them to to help understand who they are, if that makes any sense. It does. Autonomy, autonomy is great, but only to a certain point. Like, nobody likes to be bothered by your boss, but you also don't want to be disconnected from everybody else. Like, there, there's a fine line here I think we're discovering and have discovered over the last three years for sure. And Mackling, do you see Christie's uh, text? She's uh, weighed in with some feedback on de- being downtown. Yeah, Christy says, as a single woman, I sold my house during the pandemic and moved downtown, and I love it so much. I'll never move back to the suburbs again. So many shops and restaurants within walking distance. I just love it here. And yes, the traffic is definitely up downtown uh, since the since the pandemic. And she also shared that she's in the exchange and her teen loves it because it's close to bubble tea. So you never know what's going to be the main attraction when you move somewhere. Well, I think it's pretty obvious what, given what I do on Fridays at 11 o'clock, what uh, I enjoy being close to. <laughs> I was thinking bubble tea is the opposite of King's Head, but it's still a place to have a drink and enjoy yourself. Creature so. comforts. That's right. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb as we listen to some No Doubt, but not the No Doubt song that uh, Loren McNabb hates, Don't Speak. But um, this... Surprise spoken out loud this morning, Loren. We were all shocked to learn that a Winnipeg institution has said goodbye. Yeah, we're talking about Cub Bakery. Next year, I think it's next year would have been its centennial. It's been around since 1923. And Cub Bakery announced uh, basically yesterday that they're closing their doors, that, you know, they're, they're, I understand they're going to be on with Hal Anderson just after 10 o'clock, so they'll explain more about what's going on there. But effectively, today is their last day. And in the letter, they say that, you know, lots of things have contributed to this. There's challenges with costs. There's challenges with other services. And they're left with no option but to close their doors. And so this is a cub bread, Greg. Uh, 
I don't think you can go to a social in Winnipeg without seeing that. It's it's an institution, really. Yeah, you're absolutely correct on that. And uh, I was a frequent customer of their store on Aaron Street. They've got sort of a direct retail outlet there, so you can get the bread fresh as it comes off the off the baking line, cinnamon buns, hamburger, hot dog buns. It's not just their rye bread that's delicious. It's also uh, so many of their other staple items that a lot of people will be missing. So I, I hope that there are other plans for for the recipes and for the the ability for for the cub bread legend to to live on. And I know that every time I say cub bread, I'm like. Am I supposed to be saying coop? Am I supposed to be saying cub? How's it supposed to be said? Well, and it was funny because just before, it was just after 6 o'clock, Jay Richardson from Power 97 poked his head into the studio and said, Hey, uh, is it cub or coob? And I thought, <laughs> I, I almost always hear coob, I, so I thought coob, and then I said, but hang on, let me check. So I asked producer Jeff Forte, and he said, I'm not sure. And then we, we just sort of went around the horn. We asked you, we asked Loren, and uh, Loren, you I actually called, called them. them. <laughs> I called them, and it's cub. Yeah. We'll call them again, just to be sure, because one of our listeners is saying it's coob, but you know what? Let's just get them on the line. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it's one of those things where it's like we had this conversation a few months back. Is it Richot? Is it Richot? Um It's a it's a community right in our backyard, and we still the, the name kind of mystifies us. But uh, the fact that uh, this bakery, this legendary bakery, is closing its doors really hurts. So we'll have more on this. On connecting Winnipeg with Hal Anderson at ten o'clock and Mackling while you're in Regina. You know what? We've had Hi, this chat. Just wanted to clarify, cub. <laughs> she said cub. Well done. And, and we're not we're not laughing at this. I know this is Go hard news source. for it's hard news for for the folks at Cub Bakery to after almost a hundred years of being around in Winnipeg to make this announcement. So it's a sad day for them for sure. Um, but just to clarify the pronunciation that. That's how they're saying it, so that's how we say it. Right, okay. <laughs> Forgive the laugh. That just I thought is somebody being paged in Greg's hotel in Regina, but it was the, the voicemail. Um, and Greg is indeed in Regina covering the Great Cup, so we'll talk lots about football. But in the meantime, right now we're going to talk hockey tomorrow night. The Winnipeg Jets will welcome the Anaheim Ducks to Canada Life Center for their first game since Sunday's overtime win. Against Seattle over the Kraken. It will be a special night for fans of NHL version 1.0 of the Jets. It's going to be tough not being in the building tomorrow night. I have to say it out loud as two of the greatest and most beloved Jets of any era are honored. Two of my absolute favorites and finish hockey heroes Timu Solani and Teppo Numanen will see their names and numbers raised to the rafters. Hockey insider and critical member of our CGOB Jets coverage team, John Shannon, joins us now. And John, uh, Solani's accomplishments are, of course, legendary. But Teppo Newmanen played 1,372 NHL games, most of those with the Jets-Coyotes franchise. He, he wrapped up his career in Buffalo. I'm very biased on this, John, but I think Teppo Newmanen is one of the most underrated players in modern times. Uh, I, Greg, I think you're probably right. Simply for one one reason is that uh, the position he played, he wasn't flashy, like the finish flash. And what he did was effectively play the position of defensive defenseman better than most. I, I will tell you right now, 
the love affair that Winnipeg has had with Teppo, even the people in Arizona, it's similar in Buffalo. You know, the short period of time he played in Buffalo, he endeared himself to that fan base, and I think that speaks volumes to the type of person and player he was for any team that he played for. He was truly a magnificently um, complete hockey player that never got the accolades he deserved. You know, I've been um, trying to keep up with everything going on with the Jets this year, and I'm having a hard time, John, just because of the schedule. Uh, And I've seen a lot of people on social media saying, what's going on? Like, how are we even going to get all the games in at this rate? Because we've played the fewest in the league at 14, uh, along with Colorado and St. Louis, and and Vegas, by comparison, have played 18. So why this disparity? What's going on? Well, there's there's a few things uh, that happen. And by the way, if you've had trouble uh, uh, playing along and trying to figure out the schedule, so the so the rest of us. Uh, it it is it is a wacko schedule this year in the National Hockey League. Teams going out for five games, home for two, out for four. Um, but what that just means is you're going to get more home games uh, a little later in the season, which is is not a bad thing. Other teams like Edmonton and Calgary are going to be the exact opposite. So it's it's not going to be a bad thing for the Jets to come home and play a few a few more games. The schedule is so difficult to put together these days when you consider that there are now five partners, five broadcast partners that they have to look after. Uh, three in Canada, TVA, uh, Rogers, uh, and Rogers has three nights in all of that, and then ESPN and TNT. So it has become very very strange to look at the schedule and say okay the big nights are saturday tuesday thursday for regional games and then the national games are other nights and what that does do and particularly when you know the jets tv games aren't produced by rogers they're produced by tsn it puts the jets at a little bit of a disadvantage at key times when the when the national schedule has to get looked after first so it's not a, a strange thing to think that the schedule's wacko it is wacko with 32 teams. And things are about to get very busy for the Jets. 20 games in the next 37 days. How does that impact their preferred routine? Well, it, it's going to be tough. You know, Rick Bonus has come in and has had lots of practice time. Uh, obviously had a great camp. Then he got down with COVID himself. Uh, it will put a huge stress on, on the team as a whole. And you think that the amount of time to, to work on things will be a lot more reduced at this time of year. Um, it's going to put a lot of stress on the depth of this team, which has proved to be very, very impressive. When you think of the, the young guys that have contributed to this team, uh, and hopefully before that 37-day uh, period is over, uh, Nick Ehlers is back in the lineup, and that'll take a little pressure off of the team as well. Yeah, it'd be great to have the, the, the Dashing Dane back in the lineup. John Shannon, thank you for this. We look forward to hearing your uh, contributions throughout the weekend as the Jets get back at it tomorrow night against An- Anaheim. Talk to you soon. And, and the RCMP are uh, all out looking for you already, Greg, in Regina. So, <laughs> Hockey Insider, John Shannon joining us live on 680 CJOB. We 
have tickets to give away for a Rocky Mountain High Christmas with guests Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. We'll give those tickets away at some point this hour. We also have tickets to see Ron James, comedian Ron James. He's actually going to join us live just after 9.05. But in the meantime, hopefully we aren't getting too used to saying... The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are preparing to play in this Sunday's Grey Cup game. Yeah, it's becoming old hat, isn't it, Brett McGarry? This is, of course, the third straight appearance in the big game for the Blue and Gold, or is it the White and Gold? Well, I don't know if it's called superstition, but I imagine you stick with what's working. Is that superstitious? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Crazy? That's crazy? Jersey color? I think the big guys really like the whites because it shows off their abs. <laughs> <laughs> that is, of course, Blue Bomber head coach Mike O'Shea. Joining us now is Derek Taylor, the voice of the Blue Bombers. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Football players, are they suspicious? Yes or no? Is there an easy answer to that? Oh, absolutely superstitious, for sure. I mean, come on. They, they wore white beating Hamilton in 19. They wore white beating Hamilton in 21. They made fun of Hamilton this year by wearing white in a home game, which they hadn't done, I think, since the 80s, someone had texted me to, to point out. So, hey, uh, if you have the option, why not wear white in the Grey Cup when you won the last two wearing white? So, yeah, superstitious for sure. Adam Big Hill makes the same call on every coin flip they get the call. So, yeah, why not wear the same jerseys every time you're in the Grey Cup if you're on a run? And we have to ask you about this, of course. Zach Caleros, how did he look coming off the plane and down the stairs last night? <laughs> he he looked good, right? And it, you saw on Twitter, uh, at Winnipeg underscore Blue Bombers, they, they put up the video of, hey, here's Zach. They didn't say, hey, by the way, here's Zach Caleros walking down the, uh, the stairs from the plane, but they did put up the video of Zach walking down the stairs from the plane. I was... I was trying to dissect, okay, well, is he distributing his weight evenly on both feet because of the what was on Sunday, an injured right foot. And, and I I couldn't tell. Maybe the sock was a little thicker on one. Oh, does he have a sleeve on underneath it? I have Honestly, I have absolutely no I, no confidence in what I what I saw. So when they practice today at 2 o'clock, that's all we're going to watch in the beginning, right? How does Zach look? How does he look? Because that would be his back foot in the pocket. Uh, how does it look when they do their uh, – in practice, they have a session where the defense consistently throws pressure at the offense. Here's a fifth guy rushing. Here's a sixth guy. How does Zach look when he's breaking the pocket and things like that? Today will be the the determining factor, kind of, hey, where do we believe Zach is at? Because, oh, boy, there's a lot on Sunday right on that. I'm over at the team hotel, uh, at the Ramada Hotel over on Victoria, Derek, as you know, and the players and some of the coaches have been uh, milling around starting at 5.30 this morning, mostly the coaches that early. Uh, but I'm going to try and find the buffet line and see if I can examine how uh, Zach is uh, walking through the buffet line and uh, picking uh, which food he's picking and that. So I'll see if I can uh, report on that. Other than practiced at 2 o'clock today for the Blue and Gold, what else will they be up to today? Well, this is this is the thing. This is an unusual week for, for them because they only really get this one day of practice and then tomorrow's closed day of practice. So this is going to be their focus, right? We'll be to practice today from, from 2 until 4 o'clock. They're at the University of Regina field, so they're taking it to a smaller field here in town. Uh, but between that and all their, you know, all their film work and all their just 
trying to keep everything low and cool. Tomorrow uh, is the CFL Awards, where we would fully expect that uh, Zach and Dalton Schoen and Mike O'Shea are going to run away with the awards they're nominated for. Potentially Stanley Bright winning most outstanding lineman for a fourth time. So tomorrow some of the guys have bigger commitments, but uh, today should be pretty, you know, pretty low key. Get your practice in, get your uh, nutrition in, because uh, Friday is is going to be a weird day where where they won't have an on field practice. Why are we not talking about that buffet more? I'm distracted, Greg. Are you, are you not going to just get in on the buffet? <laughs> I don't know. I uh, Wade Miller gave me a wave. I don't think that was a wave in <laughs> to the room where they're having the buffet. It was just an, an acknowledgement of my presence. Ed Tate and I have been chit-chatting earlier. I'll see if maybe I can ride on Ed's coattails. I'll let you know, Loren, but I, I'm not holding out a lot of hope that I'm going to get into that room. Instead of the wedding crasher, you two need to be say- buffet crashers. Oh, Ed Tate, I think, owes him cuts, right? Like, Ed, Ed's a good friend of ours, Greg. He must get be able to get you cuts in line. <laughs> I do the chat and cut. I mean, I got a Blue Bombers hoodie. Exactly. I, I fit right in. I, 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 you know, no problem at all. Hey, when do we sign the 53-year-old guy? Is he starting on Sunday? No, he's not starting. He's carrying the water. I love it. You so, guys have a good day. Derek, when are we going to hear from you next on 680 CJOB? I know you've got a busy schedule. Yeah, so I'll I'll have uh, reports throughout the afternoon at 325, 425, 525 uh, tonight on the sports show with Christian. And I'll probably pop up on Jets at noon as well. So uh, the very latest from Regina all day long here on CJOB. Plus on Twitter at DT on OB for the up to the second news. All right, Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, thank you very much for joining us. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. More on Donald Trump's announcement in just a moment. But uh, heads up, or reminder for some, if you heard it earlier or if you're just tuning in, Hal Anderson on Connecting Winnipeg after 10 o'clock is going to be speaking with Cub Bakery. Uh, We were all shocked to learn that the bakery, 99 years in Winnipeg, is closed. Uh, So we'll get more on that after 10 o'clock. And a reminder that we're giving away Winnipeg Jets tickets for Monday's game against Carolina. We're asking you to tell us about the things that you enjoy about seeing your co-workers in person. And Loren, I've dropped a text message in here, a quick one from a grandfather, and I'd like you to read it uh, because it made me smile. Yeah, we're getting some really beautiful and profound texts coming in this morning. And this grandpa says, I retired two and a half years ago. My new job is official chauffeur to my granddaughter. I drive her every day to school, home, to school, to home. I drive her most places she needs to go. There is no better job than working alongside your gorgeous, wonderful granddaughter. Isn't that cute? Yep. That's lovely. Yeah, so many of us that count on grandparents not only to be extra parents but to do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to getting our kids places shout out to bill and Lori who do that for us just almost endlessly and i know i'm not alone in being grateful for having that support system and we'll so we'll give away those jets tickets at 9 15 and a reminder that we have tickets to give away at some point this half hour for a rocky mountain high christmas at the centennial concert hall featuring the winnipeg symphony orchestra in the meantime he's back although some might argue he has not really been away
Yeah. And I think that, you know, former U.S. President Donald Trump doesn't want to go away because he's launched his third bid for the White House. He did this, did this last night in what some have described as a grievance-filled speech, setting the stage for what might be a, you know, a fairly ugly presidential campaign over the next two years. In his word, America's comeback starts right now. Global's Reggie Giacchini joins us for more from Washington. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So you were uh, uh, listening in to that speech last night. Can you walk us through kind of some of the, the tone that was set on that stage? Well, I mean, look, what we heard from the former president were messages uh, that linked back to his initial run in 2016 and some of the uh, words that we heard during 2020, grievances about the border, grievances about policies that are in place and what he sees as a nation that is failing and has been failing and will continue to fail unless he is in power. But interestingly enough, what we didn't hear were kind of projected attacks at members of the GOP that could potentially find themselves uh as as a rival on stage with him the gop it's interesting reggie because based on what happened in the midterm elections here there are many within the gop who are separating themselves from donald trump well, i mean and look it goes it goes even before um the midterm crisis that the former president kind of led the gop into uh you know this goes back to 2020 and election denial and the fact that that resulted in the attack at the u.s capitol continue to kind of fester for the last two years and then ultimately led to a disappointing uh, turnout for Republicans or at least for Trump's candidates in the midterm. So this is kind of baggage beyond baggage and after baggage that is now lingering behind the former president. And it does have members of the Republican Party concerned that his influence is waning, that he may not have the weight that he once held uh, when it comes to the party. The base is different, though. There are people within the base that are still kind of, um, you know, revering the former president. And it's worth pointing out, midterms and general elections are very different. Oftentimes, the base won't come out in a midterm, but they will come out in droves if there is a president on the ticket. We heard in your report in Jeff Braun's newscast, Reggie, the clip of Donald Trump describing himself as a victim. Can you just expand on that? What is he talking about? Well, I mean, look, he's under investigation uh, at the state level in New York for uh, fraud uh, when it comes to his businesses. He is under investigation uh, when it comes to how Georgia's election was carried out in 2020 with his ability to or with his attempts to try and find votes to rig it to make him the winner. He's under investigation for the way that he mishandled classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago resort where he made that announcement uh, last night. And he is going to use this uh, as a way to say that he is a victim of political attacks, that this is a a weaponized Department of Justice that is going after a presidential candidate, ignoring the fact these investigations were ongoing when he was not in office and ignoring the reality here that investigations don't stop because you're a candidate. They may slow down. They may be you know, proceeding with caution, but a candidate or candidacy doesn't provide you with any kind of protection. So he'll call himself a victim, but the Department of Justice will just keep moving forward. The difference this time around, depending on how this goes, you know, eight years ago, we knew who he was, Donald Trump, the business person was. We didn't necessarily know who Donald Trump, the politician was, Reggie. And so now he, he's running on a record. I guess it depends on how you look at it as to what that record is when it comes to just achievements while president of the United States. 
I mean, and, and the achievements, there were some, uh, but there were a lot of misses and there were far more misses when he was out of office. And I think that's where the Republican Party is really trying to figure out. Look, Trumpism is alive and thriving within the Republican Party and in the Republican base. But Donald Trump has not been an active member in office for the last two years. And Republicans have been able to kind of move forward without him. Seeing what happens when you kind of get that Trump kiss, you might come short in an election. So the party's really trying to figure out, look, how do we build upon what Donald Trump did to this party while he was in office and at the same time maybe move forward with somebody who could be kind of Trump light, who would be able to expand beyond that kind of core of what Donald Trump was and potentially do a little bit more with Trumpism. But this is a fractured party. Look, you have election deniers in there that are up against true conservatives in the Republican Party, and they may find themselves kind of at a crossroads as to what to do when it comes to the nomination. All the while, Democrats are sitting on the side kind of rubbing their hands together and licking their lips, thinking if Donald Trump becomes the nominee, they already know how to deal with that. Is this a little early? We're two years away from the next presidential election. We're just days separated from those midterm elections, Reggie. Is this a typical time for an announcement like this? And and who do we see being uh, other potential candidates for the GOP? I mean, look, it's it's definitely early for a couple of reasons. Number one, it puts the focus back on Donald Trump's future, not Donald Trump's past when it comes to the midterms. Number two, it allows him to play up that victimization of the Department of Justice for the next two years. The early jump in does kind of work against him because if he had waited until January, he would have had several months to get all of his financial and personal disclosures in order. He now has to do that by December 15th. So we're going to get a better look at Donald Trump's finances. Uh, but this allows him to get his attacks out there, attacks on who? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the former president of, uh, vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, maybe the former uh, Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. There is a growing list of people that want to take on uh, the former president, and they are preparing to do so. The problem being, though, once they are on stage, they're going to have to walk back those once close kind of kinships and alliances that they had uh, and try to make themselves sound different or better than the person that they relied on to get them where they were. Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us live from Washington. Reggie, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And just before we check traffic and weather, here's a question. Now that he's saying make America great and glorious again, uh, we called it a MAGA hat before. Do we call it a MAGAGA hat or a MAGAGA? No? Yeah, why not? MAGAGA? MAGAGA. Oh, Mm. how's Lady Gaga going to feel about that? It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In five minutes' time, we have tickets to give away for a Rocky Mountain High Christmas at the Centennial Concert Hall coming up on December 8th. But our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call him first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. As we slowly return to pre-pandemic normals for office workers, what do you like about seeing co-workers face-to-face? In-person conversations, no more online meetings, or the stories. Cast your vote, cjob.com. And as it pertains to people coming back to work downtown, if you have not been downtown in a while, specifically to Portage in Maine, then you might not know there have been a lot of changes at this iconic intersection. I'm going to outline a few, but actually, as I was thinking, I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface. So we, of course, uh, on the 
southwest corner, we have the new building at 360 Main. There's a new Earl's there. Over on the southeast corner, the Bank of Montreal, it's being refurbished into the Métis Heritage Center. And then in our own corner, 201 Portage has made major changes to its lobby, its underground space, the concourse outside. The elevators are new and improved faster, I think, from what I can tell. And just every floor you stop on, Greg, you see something going on that's been construction abound for, for months now. Yeah, it's been fantastic. It's frustrating. If you've ever lived through a renovation at your home, you know how frustrating that can be. Multiply that by several times and you'll get some idea of what it's been like. The courtyard has been completely changed and upgraded. And it's a, a wonderful transformation that pairs so nicely with, with what's happened across the street across the intersection as well at the Richardson Plaza. They've done extensive renovations there, public art as well. Roseanne Hill Blaisdell is the Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer of Harvard Properties and joins us now. Good morning, Roseanne. Uh, good morning, how are you today? We're doing really well. And the Portage in Maine is the heart of the city and we don't need to have a, a, a longer conversation about it than that. But the transformation at at least three corners of that in, in of that intersection has been transformative is what i'm trying to say and right at the head of the class is 201 portage talk about what you've done and and what might still yet to come sure um so this has been a uh, this has been a journey um and uh it it, it kind of started with um us uh Purchasing the asset with a long-term vision, um, realizing the importance uh, of uh, Portage and Maine as a key um, long-term uh, location for for business in the city, um, as a you know an iconic um, asset that um, that really forms part of the skyline and and really identifies Winnipeg's downtown core. Um, so we knew there was investment needed, and we started with the underground concourse, and that was was very successful, um, and evolved to um, uh, doing a deal with the Bank of Montreal to take space on the main floor that actually had never ever been occupied because it was mostly an external walkway and uh, a transformer room. Um, so gutted the entire main floor. Um, and um, and re envisioned it as a place uh, as a place for people to be and stay and and enjoy and not just a place to work. It's a, it's an experience. Uh, final piece: um, the court, the exterior courtyard, just finished uh, hot off the press about two weeks ago. I think it's two weeks ago. Uh, we have great plans for that. But there's been a lot of movement in downtown. Many people went home in the pandemic. Some are still at home. So what are you seeing when it comes to the demand for office space? Um, well, our building is um, mostly occupied by uh, wealth management groups and um, professional groups. And our occupancy actually has remained quite high, even through the, I, I wouldn't say through, 100% through the the pandemic, but um, you know we are uh, we are over 80% occupied of the tenants that we have. So some are doing flex, a little bit of flex 
work from home, but I'd say for the most part, you know, people are in the building every day. So it's good. It is good. Um, in terms of overall demand, um, you know, there's still a little bit of, there's still a little bit of a glut in the market from uh, additional inventory um, with the development of True North Square. And, you know, of course, with all the different developments going down, the goal is still to have more people downtown. And it's not just work that brings people down, it's play. Can you tell us just before we go, we have about a minute here, Roseanne, about a restaurant that might be making its way to 201. Well, that was an announcement (laughs) a little bit early. But, uh, yes, uh, we had been in conversation with um, Doug Stephen from 529, uh, owners of WOW hospitality for about three and a half years and uh and so yes 529 is uh, debuting on the main floor of 201 portage and it's it's going to be a game changer for the building uh again a place to come and enjoy and stay and um and and enjoy his exquisite fare of uh food and drink so we're looking forward to it So are we. Roseanne Hill-Blaisdell, Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer of Harvard Properties. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Of course, my uh, computer's frozen here, you guys. Okay, well, let's say hello to Ron James. Ron joins us now. Hi there, Ron. I think I may have done that myself. I do it to my own computer just by walking past, so my apologies. <laughs> no, it's not you, Ron. I'm in Regina for Grey Cup. I'm sitting in the lobby of the hotel, and the Blue Bombers players are just getting ready to go out to their practice, so this front door has been wide open. So I think it literally froze, not in the generic <laughs> term, froze as, the, as we apply to computers. The, the show's called Backward. I belong. Tell us, what's it going to be like to be back in front of a live audience? It's electric, brother. Uh, I hit the road a year ago, November, when uh, the plague lifted periodically. Did a dozen dates across Atlantic Canada and another half a dozen, no, another dozen across BC and Ontario. And everybody was so psyched to be sitting together shoulder to shoulder, just processing the trauma of the last three years in the language of laughs it was just great people were masked that that didn't matter in the theater you could still hear the grunts and watch them wiping their tears away so i thought this is it i i should be doing it for free it was such a buzz to the life force it was just excellent and of course you know the burton cummings theater the old walker i mean that's vaudeville history they blew a wall out several years ago and they were putting in a new furnace and they found horse stalls from where they used to reenact the Ben-Hur chariot race on stage on these flat escalators. And I thought, I'll never complain about the dry air in a Best Western again. <laughs> you know, we, we've all had to make adjustments over the past couple of years, and so we're, we're feeling like we're getting back to normal a little bit, Ron. But yeah. even though we couldn't work as normal, you kept busy. You wrote a book, which just came out uh, in September. It's called "Over the All Over the Map, Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. What, yeah. What's it like writing a book? I've I've joked often. I would love to write a book, but I don't. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, uh, you know, I was pretty diligent about keeping journals when I was on the road before uh, uh, social media became the ubiquitous presence in our lives, and we felt compelled to take pictures of the French fries we might have had in Portage La Prairie <laughs> and post it as a picture. <laughs> but uh, and people just gave me a window on their world. And uh, actually, uh, I wrote everything down that they said. And the book came out a year ago. 
uh, in hardcover, and it was a bestseller for three weeks and uh, got nominated for a Stephen Leacock Award. Uh, and uh, it was just released in paperback, actually, uh, in September. And uh, but it, you know, it gave me hope. Uh, it was a it was a pinpoint of light at the end of that long dark tunnel of COVID. And when I was going through my moleskins, which I diligently kept, um, uh, yeah, it was bittersweet to read of the uh, times that you'd sit in cafes or or uh, have a post show pint at a bar when people would uh, start telling you their life stories. And this was well before I had notoriety on, on television with the 10 specials and the series and things. They, they just started talking. And, um, I, you know, and the same thing used to happen to my folks. They'd be on the bus in Halifax and they'd come home, particularly my mother. And she said, I just heard the story about the cyst that was moved from this woman's Pekingese dog's daughter in uh, Alberta. So I thought, well, I must come to it honestly. So I put it all down in the book and uh, it was... Um, uh, it was a challenge, uh, not going to lie. I threw the first uh, few chapters away, but once I got the rhythm uh, and I allowed the narrative to act as the spine and the uh, humor to act as an adhesive to hold it together, it was a real joy. And um, I was allowed um, and I felt very privileged to be able to embrace the soul note of people in place that I've heard singing for the last 25 years traveling Canada. Well, and Ron, you are a self-described road warrior. Your book is about being on the road. Is that where you feel most at home when you're away from home? Well, as I say, I live in Toronto, but the country's my home. And I think everybody who tours uh, and live performers uh, know uh, how it stokes your mojo to be out there. I was just reading a New York Times article uh, in the magazine on Willie Nelson. He's 89 years old and he's... He got twitchy during COVID because he couldn't hit the road. And I thought, wow, wow man, I, I guess that's that's it. Because I've told people lately that I'm not leaving the stage until I'm tripping my own tripping over my own catheter tube up there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's remarkably life affirming. I mean, the driving gets tedious. There's no doubt about it. And it's hard to get a car with uh, winter tires and I've driven my fair share of widow-making strips of black ash uh, of uh, widow-making strips of asphalt covered in black ice to the far points of frontier, or battled cattle-killing blizzards. A yeti wouldn't wander, but once you step uh, once you step on stage and the audience is there and they've made the effort to come out in this um, brutal winter weather we have up here, and you see them cocooned, ready to laugh. And it, it, it's life affirming because as the world gets increasingly fractured and polarized along partisan lines, it's um, uh, it's wonderful to get everybody on the same page. And laughter acts as that adhesive once again to the um, you know to the trauma that we otherwise would process in a different fashion. Ron James, it's the back where I belong tour. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been a real treat. Thank you, and I hope you make the show. And by the way, when you introduce yourself, you sound like a law firm. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like think that. we've had that before. That's great. <laughs> He's in there is po- nobody in Winnipeg wants that rep- <laughs> representation, Ron, but thank you. <laughs> He's in Portage La Prairie on November 17th at the Glesby Center, November 18th in Brandon at the Westman Centennial Auditorium, and November 19th in Winnipeg, Burton Cummings Theatre. And if you would like to go... See that show? Call a number 5-204-780-6868 for a chance to go see Ron James back 
where he belongs on the back where I belong tour. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. No, not a law firm, as comedian Ron James suggested. Hey, by the way, Jeff Forte, who won the tickets to see Ron James on uh, Saturday at Burt? Trish Loopkey Day. Say that again? Trish Loopkey Day. Trish, congratulations. Enjoy that show. And now we've got tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Jets on Monday with Carolina in town for 90s night. And we're asking you, you know, we're talking today about a lot more people going back to work and... With that in mind, what do you? What is it that you like? What did you miss about seeing your coworkers face to face? So we've got one here from Shannon G, who sent us a couple of really good stories this week. Another runner-up story today, Mister Mackling, and then Loren's going to take us home with the winning text. Shannon says, when I was working from home during COVID, I really missed one of my staff who hates wearing the uniform provided. So she does projects on the side, making embroidered clothing and shirts with different saying so it's always interesting to see every morning when she comes how she treats her uniform to always have the company logo somewhere on her clothing from dresses to tights with a sweater always having the company logo on one piece of clothing so all she has to say is see here's the company logo <laughs> it's here somewhere that's all that matters so during covid when I didn't see her in the office every day, she got very creative so that when I came back, she had all these interesting outfits to wear with a company logo on them somewhere. It was very exciting every day to come in and see what she had for a new outfit every single day. I asked Shannon, what's the, so what's the standard protocol? She says standard uniform is black pants and any shirt with a company logo. We only provide a polo shirt or fleece. So she makes dresses with her logo or summer shirts with a logo. Cool. And uh, Shannon says, I'm okay with it as long as it's not too low cut or really inappropriate. Then I just let her have some fun with her outfits. Happy staff means more fun at work, makes more efficient work days. Shannon G, you're a good boss and indeed a happy employee is a productive employee that's really cool but um bruce loren is going to take the prize with this one that kind of knocked us all on our feet yeah bruce texted about oh 40 minutes ago and i teared up just reading it saying i never really understood the depth of my relationship with my co-workers until my mother passed away a few years ago i was shocked to see my whole office show up to her funeral That day we cried together and I learned that I really did have two families, my biological one and my work one. Their expression of love and care that day made all the difference as I grieved the loss of my mother. Bruce, thank you very much for that. And if you have that kind of work family, that is incredible. It's a real treat to have people that care like that, care for you in your life. That's a blessing. That's an absolute blessing. Brett, uh, the timing on that one's pretty tough, eh, brother? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I uh, I thought I could hold, hold, like, just 90 seconds, Brett. Just hold on for 90 seconds. <laughs> Yesterday was the uh, the fourth uh, anniversary for my mom. So, uh, you know, it, it, <clears throat> we all have our moments, and I'm having one right now. So, Bruce, congratulations, and uh, thank you for sharing this story. And I went to see my dad yesterday, and it's funny because I woke up yesterday morning in a panic um, at like 3.13 a.m., but I'd had this dream that my dad and I were 
having lunch at Wendy's. <laughs> so, so, I, so I texted him in the morning and did so. Uh, I had this dream. So is it okay if I bring over some Wendy's when I come for a visit? So we ate some Wendy's. Not quite as good as my mom's cooking, but uh, no. yeah. So Bruce, thanks for that. Uh, congratulations. You're going to see the Jets on Monday against Carolina for 90s night. In the meantime, Mr. Greg, what's coming up in sports? Which Argonaut player are the Bombers excited to take to the field against? I just had a bunch of them look over. What are we talking about here? Got to hold the whole whole group in front of me here at the Ramada Hotel, Brett. So uh, there you go. The the sports tease has turned heads in Regina. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg Mackling is in Regina, of course, because of the Grey Cup happening this weekend, Bombers and Argos. And let the rivalries begin, shall we say. Got a text message here. This is from Sarah, I think. Three Bomber fans and three Argo fans are traveling by train to the Grey Cup at the train station. The three Argo fans each buy a ticket and watch as the three Bomber fans buy just one ticket between them. How are the three of you going to travel on only one ticket? Asks one of the Argo fans. Watch and learn, answers one of the Bomber fans. They all board the train. The Argo fans take their respective seats, but all three Bomber fans cram into a toilet and close the door behind them. Shortly after the train has departed, the conductor comes around collecting tickets. He knocks on the toilet door and says, Ticket, please. The door opens just a crack, and a single arm emerges with a ticket in hand. The conductor takes it and moves on. The Argo (laughs) fans see this and agree it was quite a clever idea. So after the game, they decide to copy the Bomber fans on the return trip and save some money, being clever with money and all that. So when the Argos fans get to the station, they buy a single ticket for the return trip. To their astonishment, the Bomber fans don't buy a ticket at all. How are you going to travel without a ticket, says one perplexed Argo fan. Watch and learn, answers a Bomber fan. When they board the train, the three Argo fans cram into a toilet. Soon after, the three Bomber fans cram into another nearby. The train departs. So shortly afterwards, right on cue, one of the Bomber fans leaves the toilet and walks over to the toilet where the Argo (laughs) fans are hiding, knocks on the door and says, ticket, please. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) So that joke harkens back to the day when fans would take the train cross country to the Grey Cup. The last time the Bombers faced Toronto in the Grey Cup was 1950, 72 years ago at Varsity Stadium in Toronto. And according to historical accounts, on the day before the game, a rare, heavy, late November snowfall blanketed the field. Heavy equipment was sent to clear the snowfall before the game. However, the equipment damaged the turf, which was already in bad shape from poor groundskeeping during the regular season. Yeah, and to make matters worse, on the morning of this game the weather turned warmer and the snowfall turned to rain and so by the time game time arrived the field was torn up it was soaked with water there was rain throughout the entire game it was an absolute mess and of course we know now it would ultimately be known greg as the mud bowl yes the winnipeg blue bombers lost that game loren 13 nothing to the argos that was the last time these two teams met, as you mentioned off the top, Brett, but it's also the last time a team was shut out in the big game. One of the legends of that game is the late, great Buddy Tinsley. Joining us this morning on the start is Cindy Tinsley, daughter of Canadian Football Hall of Famer Robert Porter Buddy Tinsley. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. 
Great to have you with us. Your dad was born in Damon, Texas, went to Baylor University. Isn't your dog named Baylor? Absolutely. I got a new puppy, and I decided to honor dad with him and call him Baylor. So his real name is Baylor Bear number 87. (laughs) Oh, that's fabulous. So your dad ultimately settled here in Winnipeg after his stellar 11-year career. Tell us about your dad, the football player, a little bit off the field, and then his affection for our city. You know, he came from a very modest background in rural Texas, and uh, hunting and fishing were how they put food on the table often. And so when he came to Canada... And he saw the great outdoors and, the, you know, the hunting, the fishing, and the wonderful camaraderie. He fell in love. And, uh, you know, once he experienced a couple of months here, he wasn't ever going back. He loved it here very much. That's fascinating considering, the, like, just the change in climate alone, let alone just a totally different place. Uh, when, you, when you say you fell in love, you obviously pass that on to you guys, too. Are you expat Texan City? That- yeah, um, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so you love it here too? Yes. No, I had all. He had lots of options to go back and coach, and you know, go to other Canadian cities and play, and go to other Canadian cities and coach. And there was no way you were getting him out of Winnipeg. He thought it was God's country. And uh, my brother and I both uh, have stayed here. My brother's a retired police inspector, and I was a teacher, so uh, an educator. So uh, we both, you know. Uh, had options but we decided to stay here too because this is what we grew up with and this is what we love i that was just her twitter handle that i shared by the way expat cindy so cindy what can you tell us about the mud bowl or what your dad might have shared over the years well i was three months old and in texas when the mud bowl (laughs) happened but my mother was in the stands and uh, took the great cup special train to the game and uh, was sitting there and you know they talk about the ball actually floating across the field. There was so much water on it that they had to, they had trouble pinning the ball. And um, Dad had hurt his knee um, before the game, and he was taped really, hard, um, you know, from ankle to hip kind of uh, because his knee was so messed up, and he got hit in the knee and, of course, went down and uh, – you know, was laying there with his head well out of the water because he's wearing shoulder pads and he was a big guy and he had a helmet on. But he's laying there going, oh, my goodness, my my knee's wrecked. And uh, But meanwhile, it looked from other people in the stands like he was face down, which he really wasn't. So, uh, But various people have claimed they've leapt from the stands and saved his life and various other long, tall tales uh, emerged from the from the story. So... But he basically just had hurt his knee. <laughs> Greg, I feel like you need to take the follow-up on this one here. Greg, are you there? Oh, it sounds, it looks for like... For so long there was... Sorry, guys. So there's so For so long there was that uh, sort of sense that Buddy Dinsley almost drowned in the mud bowl. So that's obviously not the case, but it's a, it's a wonderful story to a great extent. It's just the legend and lore of Canadian football and the, and the role the weather can play. I also want to ask you about your mom, Cindy. Your mom, Hazel, has a special place in Blue, Blue Bomber history as well, doesn't she? Yeah, she uh, she came from the uh, high school football tradition of a halftime show with the marching band, and she was a majorette and played the piccolo or the clarinet, depending on the, the occasion. 
But when she came to Winnipeg and there was no halftime show or nothing happened at halftime, she kind of thought, well, there's, we should do something about that. So she started a bunch of uh, girls in the River Heights area where she, uh, mom and dad were living at that time, and she got a bunch of broom handles and taught them to twirl, and the bomberettes were born. And they would put on halftime shows for decades after that. So. That's but uh, Donna Fiala took it over from mom because she had my mother had two little kids at this point in time. So uh, mm. the uh, she started it and uh, loved it and was proud of it. But Donna definitely is the one that made it fly. So wow, I'm learning so much. I did not know this, and so that you know that is the legacy of your mom. There's the history with your dad, and then your family, as you mentioned, you and your brother are still here. So what are you up to now? What do you what's kept you here? If I can ask. Well, um, friends. You know, it, my dad was really, really, uh, and my mom both, they were really social people who loved their friends and their family. And um, so the idea of moving somewhere else sort of terrifies me because the uh, um, the whole notion of uh, not being with your friends and your family is, you know, really, really scary. So we, my puppy just heard the noise, and so he's going to bark and be painful. Um, but... Basically, we just, my brother's a big hunter and fisherman like my dad, and he loves it here and uh, lives out south of Winnipeg on a property, and um, I just can't imagine living anywhere else. You're involved with something called the Augustine Centre. Tell us a little bit about that before we, we let you go, Cindy. Well, the um, Augustine Centre is an attempt to take the old um, Augustine Church and make it a community hub in Osgoode Village. Um, it's 120 years old. It's iconic. It's beautiful. And right now we've, we're about halfway there. We have about 100, 200 people a day using the building. And we're trying to turn the uh, old auditorium into a performing arts center. And so we're actively fundraising to do that and uh, keep the building um, in service to the community, which it has been for 120 years, but hopefully for another 120, it will be useful. And uh, there's a daycare there now, and Oak Table, and uh, we hope to turn it into a performing arts center. So that's what I spend my time doing. Well, Cindy Tinsley, we appreciate very much the time that you've given us today. As Loren pointed out, fascinating, fascinating family history. Uh, so thank you very much. We appreciate it.